welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Today in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is writing to a church and he addresses some issues that are taken care of with the power of the Holy Spirit. I trust you've been encouraged over the last few Sundays. I know God has moved in our church in several ways, many ways. We've seen people saved. We've seen uh, some people get a little closer. Uh, quite honestly, I feel like we have invited the Holy Spirit to work in our church. Maybe like not in a long while. If you haven't yet called on, that's what I'm praying and that's what I'm asking. Is for God to demonstrate his power through his Holy Spirit in our church. In our individual lives and in the life of this church. Your town, your home, your school, your work, this state, this country needs an influence, needs the influence of your life empowered by the Holy Spirit. This state, this country, this world needs the influence of this church empowered by the Holy Spirit. I like our church. That's a good thing when your pastor likes his church. We have a good church. We have a great church. And we do a lot of good and great things. But I can only imagine what we can do when we are all individually and corporately empowered by the Holy Spirit. And even though I am quite partial to this church, I'd like to see all conservative Bible-believing churches experience the power of the Holy Spirit, be emboldened to say, if God be for us, who cares who's against us, and to start to speak up and stand up and fight for the things that matter. America used to be considered a Christian nation. And you don't have to be a scholar nor theologian to realize that we are no longer that. That's a sad thought. But does that mean we bow our heads and maybe stick our heads between our legs curl up in the fetal position in the corner and suck our thumbs and hope Uncle Joe fixes it all. No. That means we become empowered by the Holy Spirit and make a difference. For your family, for my family, at your school, at your job, and your sphere of influence. And I hope if we've learned anything or learning anything, we understand we can't make an impact 
of any spiritual, eternal value without Him. We can make an impact, but it'll only last so long. And we need to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. I have a whole chapter to preach, and God interrupted me yesterday and said, they can't handle it. They'll leave. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 3. All 18 verses are important, as is the whole book of 1 Corinthians, as is all 66 books of the Bible. But we've dedicated this time to this chapter. And for your convenience, I'm going to try to preach only one of my four points. This will be a to-be-continued for you Dukes of Hazard fans. The car's in the air, and it stops. And unlike today, we have to wait a full week to Friday at 8 o'clock to see what happens. So we're going to look at the first six verses. If you would, if you would honor God's Word by standing. And I remind you, and I know there's a lot of visitors here, we don't stand to honor a preacher or a church. We stand to honor the Word of God, which is worthy. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says to this church here, do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? We'll explain this later. You are our apostle or our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables or tablets of stone, but in fleshly tables or tablets of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, Paul says of himself, not that we are sufficient, not that I am sufficient to think anything as ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, or some versions will say the New Covenant, as opposed to the Old Covenant, not of the letter like the law, but of the Spirit, for the letter, the law, the Old Covenant kills, but the Spirit of God gives life. Father, thank you for your word. I pray for your help to preach clearly what you are teaching us in your word. May we not just be hearers of your word, but be doers of your word, leaving here today, not just knowing more, but applying it to our Christian lives. And if there's a person here today who is not a believer, they know it. Your Holy Spirit has already convicted their hearts. May they see their need for salvation and make a decision to follow you, make you Lord of their life today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As we've talked about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit for several weeks now, Uh, I want us to remember, and for those of you who haven't been here or some new new visitors, we've talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit was our comforter. He is our comforter. Uh, We've talked about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that He convicts hearts. We've talked about the clarity, how the Holy Spirit shows us who we are, shows us who Jesus is. Last week, we talked about the promise of power, that the Holy Spirit would come and empower us to do the ministry, to reach the world with the gospel, to share the Great Commission. And today in Paul's letter, 
he refers to the Holy Spirit multiple times and talks about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So I want us to talk about and teach about or preach about the transformation of the Spirit. This is what makes my sermons longer. We live in, a, in an age, in a culture of seeming transformation. I'm not going to pick on any preachers. Some of you, you have their podcasts and they're your favorites, but I talk about them um, frequently. And I think it's biblical to call out false teachers. But we live in a day and age to where, um, for example, uh, every day is a Friday. You, you've heard of me talk about that before. What happens or what has happened in at least American culture, as we've been rocked to sleep in our, in our comfortable Baptist churches is, we cling to, maybe because of prophecy of itching ears. Can y'all hear me fine? Something happened up here, but that's fine, as long as you can hear me. Um, we, we probably live in the day of the itching ear syndrome where people want to go to where they can hear what they want to hear. And we've grown big churches uh, and we've petted people and we've told them, you know, tomorrow's a new day. And, and I understand maybe some of the logic in that, but uh, Oprah's helped out with a lot of um, Unitarian um, puffy clouds and unicorns and rainbows to where uh, if you can just, you can change your life. You can turn over a new leaf. If you'll just read my book or come to my seminar or uh, subscribe to my podcast, um, or get, and I'll stop there, or press this button and hear a, a nice Hallmark-like saying for today, then our lives change. And you know, you were in the mully grubs today, and um, your bill came due that you knew was coming because you overspent at Christmas or whatever, and you know, you're just oh, woe is me, I got bills, I got kids, I got whatever, I got a job. Instead of thanking God, we gripe about it. And, you know, but if you'll just change your own life, if you'll just make a decision today that you're going to wake up tomorrow a new person, you're going to forget about that garbage. Not to mention the bill's still there and the job's still there, but if you'll just convince yourself the power of your mind, you can transform your life. And we buy that mess, and there's only one form of transforming power, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of God. And what, what that has caused, it's called a generation, caused a generation or two or three of professing believers who are trying to transform their own lives instead of anticipating, expecting, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform their lives. And our church has become full of professing believers who are trying every day to change their own life. And they don't understand why they're having to do it every day. Because it only lasted about the 30 minutes you listened to the podcast. So in this text which maybe has nothing to do with those. It does have something to do with false teachers. 
Because Paul is writing to a church. This is important for us to understand. Paul is writing to a church, we know if you've been in church for more than a couple weeks, uh, in Corinth, which is not a very healthy spiritual church, like a lot of churches. There are believers in the church, but they're not all growing the way they should grow. And you know the problem? Their pastor just ain't feeding them. That was extra. It's not in there. I have found out to be a universal truth that the reason Christians don't grow is because their pastor doesn't feed them. But they're in a hurry to get out of church so that they can feed themselves. And we've heard it before and we laugh about it, but it's a universally true principle that if you only eat spiritually one time a week, you're a puny Christian. And if you go to a church where you only get dessert, you're an even more unhealthy puny Christian. And Paul many times went in with a steak, yummy, medium, peppercorn, crusted, mashed potatoes, garlic mashed potatoes with a little cheese. And he had the plate steaming hot, and they said, we want Gerber. And he said, I came to you with meat, but you're still on a bottle. And you know what they said? The preacher ain't feeding us. No, they didn't say that because they were convicted by their lack of discipleship. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is what happens. This is what is happening. You say, well, this is is first century church. No, this is 21st century church because God's word is alive, it's active, it's breathing. And what Jesus did and what Paul wrote about in the first century It's still happening today because it's applicable today. And when we, when church members or when believers or churches are full of undiscipled, non-growing Christians, they are susceptible. Here's, Here's where we're going into the message. They are susceptible to false teaching. Somebody say amen. Justin ought to be saying amen to this because he's on board with this. What prevents us from buying into false teaching is knowledge of true teaching. That's why we're called to be discipled. That's why we're called to grow in grace and knowledge. That's why Paul said as newborn babes, as newborn babes, comma, you, you should desire the sincere milk of the word because we understand that's how we grow. And if I come in here and start preaching some, some Joelosophies, you ought to say, that's wrong. And some chairman of deacons ought to call me out and say, where did you get that from? It's not in Scripture. And if that happened in churches all over America, we'd clean house with some of this garbage. But it's not. Because people would rather have Gerber many times than the steak, which is not a good example because nobody wants that. I mean... Everybody wants steak, except for you vegans who are ungodly and probably not saved. But that offended me. Y'all know about Peter being shown all the meat? And, okay, that's a different story. We talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to use this quote every Sunday that I preach on the Holy Spirit just to remind us that Oliver B. Green said, in our present dispensation, the person and work of the Holy Spirit are perhaps the most misunderstood and badly abused doctrines of Christianity. I think the more we understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the better we are as Christians and as a church. 
And in this text, we understand how dependent we are on the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes this letter to a church who has been, I had written affected, but I think a better word is infected with false teaching. They were easily susceptible to false teaching because they hadn't grown in God's Word. And so what was happening, just to kind of set the stage, is we had this crowd uh, of Judaizers. We have to understand this was, it's not good, but we understand the logic of how this happened. Paul came in, and, and I don't want to, I, I could plow deeper, but I don't want to mess this up. I don't spread this over a few weeks. Paul comes in before 1 Corinthians 3, and he's preaching on his missionary journeys, a new gospel, if you will, the gospel of the new covenant. And who is he preaching to? For the most part, he's preaching to Jews who are practicing Judaism. Paul confronted this issue often in the church because think about it. He was preaching to people who were students of the law. Many had committed their life to the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but the Torah, 213 laws. We had the group of Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes who were going around during Jesus' day who had built uh, an organization, if not a, a kingdom, a man-made kingdom on God's laws. They were actually making money off of it. It became a political system. By the way, that's part of the reason they hated Jesus so much. He was cutting in on their business. And so people were understood the law as a way to salvation. But Jesus came not to, this is really important if you're taking notes because I'm going to say a couple things today and probably next week for sure that might kind of rattle your cage. Jesus came not to condemn the law, but to fulfill the law. In our text, Paul even later in a few verses refers to the old law as a law unto death. The law, the law, the 213 laws of the Torah were, were uh, important, obviously that's an understatement, to demonstrate your inability to keep the law, which leads to death. But Jesus came not to condemn the law, but to fulfill the law. The only way you and I could ever fulfill the law is to place our faith and trust in the fulfillment of the law. You broke one commandment, you broke them all, God said. Not just one of the 10, all the 10, all the 213. No man could keep the law. But yet they strive to keep the law for some type of salvation. But Jesus came and fulfilled the law. Paul was radically saved on the road to Damascus as a lawgiver, lawkeeper, law fighter, law preacher. He was the theologian of all theologians when it came to the law. He talks about that. He talks about his resume, but he talks about it after he got saved and how little it meant, and that's probably next week. Paul gets saved while under the law, while following the law, the law of condemnation, the law that leads to death, but he gets saved 
by Jesus and he understands grace and he understands mercy and he understands new life of the Spirit and now he's a preacher of this new gospel, this new covenant. He had a tough job. He just a few chapters and books ago was killing people who didn't believe like him. He was killing people who now he became one of. He would go into churches and people would be scared to show up because they knew he had just killed Christians a few chapters ago. Not chapters, obviously. Months, weeks, years, I don't know. Can you imagine the first church Paul goes into just a week after he got saved, two weeks after he just killed a Christian? Who let this guy in? Like his introduction was two hours long convincing people he wasn't there to kill them. Can you imagine that? Come here, Paul. He killed 50 Christians last week. This week he's going to preach how to come, become a Christian. He starts churches out of Christians who accepted the new gospel, the new message of grace. He starts Corinth, the church at Corinth. He, he writes to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, because since the time they were saved and planted the church, they had allowed false preachers and teachers to come in and preach. They were the Judaizers. What they had done was they came in and they said, hey, um, you can have a little bit of this new covenant, but you got to have some of the old covenant too. In Acts chapter 15, verse number one, we see this happening in the church, in the new church, in the first church. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, listen to this message they taught these Christians in a new Christian church. Unless you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you can't be saved. So Paul established a church. People got saved. Uh, people got saved. Paul established a church. He's kind of the founding pastor. He comes and visits. He writes some letters like 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And he hears that there's some Judaizers that they let fill their pulpits. And these guys came in and taught, hey, um, I know you've been taught this grace thing, but you can't really be saved unless you have some law too. Now, we're not going to talk about the invitation time when he said, all of y'all that haven't been circumcised got to be circumcised to be a Christian. Sign up, y'all come up. We'll leave that for the other people to talk about. But he's talking about law. You got to come in. Yeah, yeah, Paul preached this, but you got to have this too. And because they hadn't grown in grace and knowledge, many were believing. Many were allowing it. And now the churches are full of law and grace and not a healthy way. Now there's a schism. Now there's division. Well, you got to do this. You got to do this. Whoop, whoop, time out. Does that happen today? Absolutely. Ain't no way he saved. You see how he dressed? If he was saved, he wouldn't have that mullet. <laughs> Not going to look in the mullet section. <laughs> there ain't no way that man's saved. There ain't no way she's saved. If she's saved, the woods are full of Christians. Why? I'm not talking about fruits. I'm talking about likes and dislikes, traditions and new traditions. I read something this week where I think somebody posted it. 
uh, on one of the social media platforms, and it was Billy Graham, and back in the day when you could write into Billy Graham, and uh, somebody had wrote in about music, and the, the new music guy was bringing in this new music we didn't like, and Billy Graham, in the only way he could, one of his little short lines was basically, um, those old songs that you like were new at one point, and I'm sure somebody didn't like that when they were introduced. Now, if the preacher got up and said it, they'd be mad at him, but Billy Graham said it, oh, it's the gospel. And then he, then he followed it with you all to pray for your ministry music and this and this and this and this. It, people get caught up in traditions. Is he going there? Yeah. People get caught up in legalism. And if you don't do it this way, you're not this way. And unfortunately, it's a tool of the devil. It's a tool of the devil to divide churches. And I believe it's very pharisaical to where we're closing up the doors to heaven. We're not going ourselves and we're not allowing other people to go because we closed the doors. Paul is addressing this. This is false teaching. And it was easily believable by immature believers. Um, Warren Wiersbe said this, and this is a great little quote, a lie always needs a truth for a handle. A little bit of truth, a little bit of lie just to hold on to. And there's only one truth. There are not multiple truths that are confrontational. Now, we know Acts 15.1 says, hey, these guys are coming in teaching. You got to have the law. You got to have a little bit of this. You got to follow the law. But we know, and this will help me out, and this will help me catapult a little farther in the sermon if we kind of look like we're agreeing with this. We know that Paul said in Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now that seems adamantly opposed to, you got to have some law and some grace. If y'all look like this, I won't have to stop here for a while. We have a new members class going on. Um, it's a pretty good class. Seem to be intrigued. And uh, we talked about money today. And nobody left. I've been looking around to see if anybody left. I like to approach money in the church a little differently than some. I don't preach money reactively. I preach money proactively. I don't look at the budget and, or the week and say, well, we're down three days in a row, three weeks in a row. So I'm going to preach Malachi and tell them God's you know, going to curse them when they're in, their washing machine's going to blow up next week. I don't work that way. I think Christians give out of the abundance, and they give cheerfully. I, 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 um, I shy away from 10%. Did he say that? I think 10%, people get stuck. Oh, Lord, I got attention now. What's he going to say? I hope he says 8%. No, that'd be good. No. Biden inflation. God's all right with six until gas goes down. Um, I'm, I am, I shy away from a percentage. Oh, this is public and this is on, this is on record. Because I don't want to teach someone to check off a box and lead to legalism. I believe a true believer who loves God and the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I believe he or she should give cheerfully out of the abundance of what God has blessed them with and not simply stop at 
Now, I understand 10% is a good number to start up, but I don't know. I know everybody, there are people that preach the tithe and they go, please don't be mad and stop. But there are people that hammer the tithe, not just preachers, but people, 10%, 10%, 10%. But they got gardens and they got farms and I ain't never seen their first 10% brought in here at this altar. Because the tithe is 10% of everything, your increase. Now, we could eat all summer long off of your tomatoes and cucumbers and squash and all that. If everybody brought their tent, but first one in. Well, the first is usually the best, so. Um, right, it is. So, but I don't want, I want to shy away from teaching people there's a box to check. Because it leads to legalism. Now, should you give at least 10%, just for the record? Yes. You ought to give cheerfully as God has blessed you. Do I have to get? Well, the president gave me some money. Should I get? Yeah. I got a bonus. Yeah. I didn't get a bonus. We don't get a bonus. But teachers and all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is not a giving service. It's not a giving sermon. It is because it has everything to do with why you give and how you give the way you give. Because if you get stuck in some old covenant form of giving, you'll be limited to the power of God in your life. Whoa, that wasn't in there. Probably shouldn't have been. I read behind somebody. It's a, it's a publication, so they didn't give the author's name or I would. And this is what they said about the grace and the law conversation. They said, understanding that sin makes us thick-headed unwilling to accept certain truths when they receive minimal emphasis, the biblical authors repeat foundational doctrines so that they might penetrate our hearts and minds. That quote's up there. I don't have to read it then. No. The man-made religion or man-made religions of this world still exist, by the way, Prove that without the work of the Holy Spirit, people think that they are basically good and cannot contribute something to their salvation. Say, so what's that got to do with giving? Nothing necessarily, but it has everything to do with, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. But yet some false teacher comes into a church in Paul's day and says, yeah, but you got to have this too. And if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing today. You're saved, you go to that church. Yeah, but you got to have this too. You got to do this. You got to look like this, smell like this, talk like this, walk like this, or you're not one of us. And God forbid you leave this church where we have instituted these cultic-like rules and go to a church where they preach the Holy Spirit and liberty. Oh, people are reading into what I'm saying, either getting mad or confused. I'm not sure. If you go to one of those churches... You must not be saved. Now, I'm not talking about leaving here and going to Joel Osteen's church. I'm not talking about leaving here or that church and going to Elevation Church. Something wrong with Stephen Furtick? Yeah. He's not really in touch with his Bible. That's what's wrong. Oh, I just offended some people. Did I, if, you, if you got offended by that, would you raise your hand and then leave? Just get don't, don't. Don't, don't leave. Well, I don't like the music, but I like the preaching. Well, the music sometimes more biblical than this preaching, but that's a different story, if you can hear it and understand it. All you're doing is picking on people. Now, what I'm doing, hopefully and prayerfully, 
is preaching what Paul is saying to this church, that you must know why you believe what you believe and understand it so that you're not susceptible to false teaching. This whole chapter is dedicated to teaching believers that man-made religion does not result in true salvation. However, when the Holy Spirit is involved, there is, as the title says, true transformation. It's a lot of theology in 2 Corinthians 3. A lot of doctrine in 2 Corinthians 3. And what Paul does, and y'all still with me? I'm only going to preach one point, and I haven't gotten there yet. What Paul does is he contrasts four different times so that people have a clear picture of the law and grace. The Old Covenant, the New Covenant. The Old Testament and the New Testament. To prove the importance of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So, the first thing he talks about, which is the only thing we'll talk about today, is the letters written by the Spirit. We understand, we've got to understand what these letters are about. Look at verse 1. He says, we've been here this long and you're just now reading verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation for you? What is he talking about? So what would happen in the New Testament church is preachers, both good preachers and bad preachers, true teachers, false teachers, they would carry around letters of commendation. They had their, their resume, they had people, other religious leaders who had signed off to say they were good people. This is what he's talking about. We see this in other passages in the New Testament. And so you had false teachers by the way, this is great how this plays out application-wise. We had false teachers who were teaching a little bit of Judaism and a little bit of gospel is the way to salvation, like we just read in Acts 15.1. If they needed a letter of recommendation, do you think they went to someone who was preaching the true gospel? No. They went to some other false preacher who was a little higher up in, in their hierarchy and said, hey, will you sign this letter for me to say I'm a good preacher? This is literally what was happening. Not with this piece of paper, but literally that's the, this is the application. And so they would go into churches and they would go in and they would go to the pastor and they would say, um, hey, can I speak at your church? And uh, here's my letter of commendation. And the pastor would look at it and if the pastor was all right with false teaching, which meant he didn't know the true gospel, then he would let them in. Y'all see, do I need to preach this out or are we following the application? There's an old saying that birds of a feather flock together. I thought about this this week and I was trying to be nice, but I always need an illustration and a good story. But has anybody ever called you or written to you or emailed you or texted you and said, hey, would you give me a letter of recommendation? Anybody ever done that? All right. When you get important like me, they do it all the time. No. That's a joke. Do you know I've had people, this is fun. That I've had people that I haven't talked to in years that have bounced around this church that have written me. I have one on my Facebook Messenger right now. If somebody gets in touch with you by Facebook Messenger, you don't know them. Well enough to ask for a letter of recommendation. I got some cat that's on my Facebook Messenger right now who asked me if I could write them a letter exempting them from the COVID vaccine. I didn't know I had that kind of authority. But I felt honored and flattered. Now, not to be confused with some of our members in good standing, 
I told my new members class, that's one of my books. My first three books that I'm going to write is, What is a Member in Good Standing? Because I ain't found anybody that knows or will preach it or kick people out that aren't. But I've had members who I know who they are, who have my real phone number, and I see on a regular basis who would say, could you sign this? This is my exemption letter that I wrote or that I, and I'm good with that because I'm saying it's like a letter of commendation. I'm saying they are who they say they are. But I ain't responding to some person on Facebook Messenger that I can't find with the FBI that suddenly wants me to write them a letter to get them out of a COVID shot. Just, just for perspective and to help people out. Um, if you're going to ask somebody for a letter of recommendation, let them know that you're going to give your name to someone. Is that, did they teach that in school or is that just common sense? It's not common sense. <laughs> just make me aware. Make that person aware. Hey, I'm going for a job and they're going to reach out. And I gave them your name. Just kind of. All they're doing. Oh, yeah. There's some application here, and I want to make it without being mean. I'm not writing somebody a letter of recommendation that I couldn't recommend them for something. And you shouldn't either. Just like I'm not going to get up and preach somebody into heaven that I know hadn't darkened the doors of a church or showed any fruit in their lifetime. I'm not going to get up and preach a letter of commendation to get them to look spiritual. I'm going to get up and preach to the family about the grace and mercy of God, and he's a comforter, and he's there, and he loves you, and he cares for you, and, but I'm not going to get up there and make, that's a letter of commendation. And, and when you do that, when, not when you preach it, when you commendate someone else who you don't agree with, my dad was not a philosopher by any stretch, and he used to say, if you lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas. You associate yourself with the person that you're commendating. And we have to be careful to do that. And by the way, I'll give a recommendation. And you probably have done it too. But make sure the person knows. And don't ask somebody to recommend you that you know knows you. Because if they're honest, they're not going to recommend you. And I got people mad at me because I didn't recommend them to a job that they had no business being in. You do that? You're mean. No, I'm trying to be honest. These guys walked around with their letters of recommendation, their letters of condemna condemnation, that's better, <laughs> commendation. And here's my point. Even the leader of the church, the leader of the church should have known based on their commendation that they weren't true preachers of the gospel. Paul says to his church, I love it because I think Paul is sarcastic. And Paul says in verse one, hey, because he's writing to a church that he started with people he led to the Lord, and he says, do I need to bring you a letter of commendation? You know who I am. You know what I've taught. You know the gospel that I've taught. He says, I don't need to bring epistles of commendation. We understand this is true because in Acts chapter 9, this is crazy, the same Paul who was then Saul was pointing out and finding Christians to kill based on their letters of comment. They walked around with letters basically saying they were Christian and preaching the gospel. So it's not just negative to those false teachers. True teachers and preachers of the gospel had commendation letters too. 
And Paul used it as a way to weed them out and find out who they are to kill them. There's a lot to be said about this. There's a lot of practical illustrations. Uh, And let me just say this, because it's somewhere in my notes. Uh, Your church membership form is not your letter of commendation. Paul talks about this later. I try try to be nice when I say this, but um, mm, I probably shouldn't say it. I don't know. Yeah, I'll move on. Um, Some churches still send letters when somebody joins or doesn't join. We we practice that pretty faithfully when we know about it. Um, I'm trying to say this in a way that would be helpful, but yet not critical or mean. But some people leave a church and go to another church, and they don't want a letter because they probably know they don't send that church a letter. Don't, don't just let them. We're just going to join. I got saved. I'm baptized. Just don't send them a letter. And there's a reason why a lot of times. Is that safe to say? Y'all don't appreciate it. If I had a group full of pastors, they would probably say, amen, brother. That's right. <laughs> it has a lot to do with the similarity to a letter of commendation because unfortunately in our society, in our culture, we have people bouncing around from church to church for the most random reasons on the planet. And it's hard, I'm trying to say this strategically, it's hard to, it's hard to understand or manage to understand their relationship with God and Christ and the Christ of the church when they bounce around churches like they're changing clothes because they're, you know, everybody changes clothes for different reasons, but sometimes you lose weight and then you can get in this and then you gain weight and you got to get into this. And it's like um, people bounce around from church to church just because one day they don't like this and the next day they do and they find something they like. And that's not a true indication of a true believer who is sold out to the Christ of the church. And sometimes letters in a church go like, I don't send that because Maybe we didn't even know you were still a member here. That's a good, easy example. Moving on. Paul used these letters to find Christians. Paul, in this, ta- in this context, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he asked them in a very somewhat sarcastic way, do I need letters? No, I don't need They understood that the letters were not needed. Not letters of commendation, because listen, and, and here's, here's, a, here's a very practical illustration and, and point. It really doesn't matter about your letter of commendation. Because a letter of commendation comes from people, and people are fallible. People are liars, sometimes. People are scared to tell the truth sometimes. That's a better way of saying liars, right? So, you know what? They'll be mad at me if I don't give them this. But, but you'll be a liar if you do. So which one? You, oh, I want to be peaceable with all people and a liar. So I'll just do that. So these letters were fallible because they were from fallible men. And Paul says uh, in so many words, I think it teaches us Listen, and, and I, I'm all about education, but it's not about your education. It's about your experience with God. Today, 
you don't know this. Once again, if I'm talking to pastors, they could amen this and understand. Today, a Southern Baptist pastor can get a job about anywhere he wants to. If you go on the website and look at Southern Baptist churches, they're by the thousands. Most of them want somebody with um, at least 10 years of experience and a master's degree, and they want you to work another job because they got 100 people, but they have high expectations. Literally, I can, I can show it to you. I can put it up on the screen right now if you don't believe me. Well, we, got a, we got a strong, healthy church of 125, but we want a man with 10 years of experience and a master's degree minimum from a Southern Baptist accredited school. We're going to pay you minimum wage plus give you $20 a week in M&Ms or something. The point is, what they want is education. I'm about education. I have education, but I understand, number one, they didn't teach me anything about pastoring a church in six years with two master's degrees and a bachelor's. It was a crash course because every, every church is perfect. But then you've learned it's different. It's not about the education. It's not about people in your church. It's not about disciples who have degrees and college degrees. It's about their experience with God. Some of the most spiritual men I've ever been around were ninth grade high school dropouts. But they had experience with God. They had faith greater than anyone I've ever seen on this side of heaven. And they trusted God and they lived by faith and they walked by faith. So these letters were somewhat pointless because they were from fallible people. It's not about your degrees. It's about your devotion to Jesus. It's certainly not about performing. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, do I need to commend myself again? Do I need to tell you? Do I need to introduce? Do I need to show you my letter? Because he wasn't so much concerned about the epistles of commendation, but the last point, he was, he was more concerned about the evidence of conversion. He said, do I need to bring you letters, church, Christians, believers at Corinth? No, I don't believe, because these things are pointless, but what is not pointless is your life. Listen to what he says. Verse 2, epistles are letters, if we didn't cover that. I don't need epistles of commendation. You are the epistles. You are the epistles written in our hearts. Listen, known and read of all men. If y'all would have looked like you liked that, we'd probably get out sooner. Paul says, I don't need these letters to prove that my gospel is true. The transformation by the Holy Spirit in your life is proof that this message is true. Oh, what an application. I wrote a statement, and it was mine, it's original, so it must have been good. I can't remember where it was at. Here it is. Our job is not to prove to the world that the gospel is true. I can't prove to the world the gospel is true. I, don't, I can't have enough letters behind my name to argue with the world to prove that the gospel is true. You can't either. I said it years ago, and it still sticks in my mind. I've never heard anybody getting saved because they lost the debate. Our job is not to prove to the world that the gospel is true. Proof that the gospel is true and powerful is witnessed in the life 
in a life radically transformed by the gospel. In the same way that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, people won't believe the gospel based on your argument. They'll believe the power of the gospel when they see your life and my life transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, I don't need these letters. You are my letters written to the world proving the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Paul says it several times through the scriptures that they are living letters. He says in verse 3, for as much as you are manifest, declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, not in stone, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the tables of your heart. So many applications. And here's the question. Is your life, is my life, is our collective life as a church a testimony to the power of the Holy Spirit's transformative power in the life of a person? There are people in this room who can testify to how they used to be. And I've, I know some, I've heard some stories. I've been around town long enough. I'll run into somebody and say, boy, he used to be. I say, yeah, I've kind of heard. He didn't tell me the whole story, but yeah, I've heard. I preached a funeral with a, with a local pastor who we ran into another guy together, and he said, oh, my, we used to cause a lot of trouble around Kannapolis. They didn't mean like, you know, kicking rocks in the street. They meant arrestable offenses. And now they're pastors because of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have those testimonies. Some of us were perfect little children when we got saved. <laughs> but when we understand that we were headed for an eternity separated from God forever in a place called hell, but the transforming power of God regenerated us and now we're headed in a different direction. When we understand whether you are a criminal or a perfect teenager, that's an oxymoron, but, <laughs> but that you are living a life of destruction, living a dead man's life, but by the power of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, you've been raised to walk in new life, and now you have life more abundant. When the world sees the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in your life, the letters of the Holy Spirit, then the gospel is proven, not with a letter written by man, but with a letter written by God on our hearts. Would you stand with me? If you're here today and you're a Christian and you know it, what a, what a convicting thought. I, I very rarely say God is counting on us for anything. So I don't mean it in a way that God is impotent. But when we think that God is depending on us to be written letters for the world to see, here's a sobering question. What kind of letter is the world reading? They seeing somebody that's been transformed and their life's different. 
Not because they're adhering to some legalistic checklist of laws. Paul talks about that later. But because they're obedient to the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're allowing God to empower them to live a life pleasing to Him. And last, if you're here today and none of this makes sense to you, I believe the Holy Spirit's here and convicts hearts of truth, that the Word of God is true. Maybe you're here and you've never made Jesus order of your life. And the Holy Spirit's convicting you and making it clear to you that you're lost because you've never accepted His Son as your Savior. And today would be a, a prime day to make Him Lord of your life. My Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acknowledge you're lost. Acknowledge what the Word says. You're not lost because the church said it or the preacher said it, but because the word says we're born lost and born separated from God, but that Jesus died for your sins because God loved us enough to make salvation available. And today you make him Lord of your life. Here's what'll happen. You truly get saved. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit indwells in your life and makes it possible for you to be a letter to the world of the saving, transformative power of God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Speak so clear. God, as we go into a time of prayer and invitation, I pray if there's a Christian here today. God, you've spoken to them and maybe they're not where they used to be. Maybe they've evaluated their life your Holy Spirit's convicted them that their letter is not as clear as it used to be maybe the letter that's written on their heart is not as powerful as it used to be they're saved and they know it but they're not allowing your Holy Spirit to empower them to live a, a successful overcoming Christian life I pray today they would do business with you whether it's at an altar or where they're at that they would call on you and confess and be open and honest and ask you to empower them to be a living letter that represents the transforming power of you and your Holy Spirit. And God, again, if there's a person here today, they're not born again. They know it. God, I pray today they would see their lostness, see that they're in need of salvation, not because of church membership, not because mama said it or daddy said it, but because you and your word has made it clear that we're born into sin, born into condemnation, separated from you, that if we place our faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, that we can be reconciled back to you and have a relationship with you in salvation and have life and have life more abundant. I pray if there's a person here today that needs to do that, make that decision that they would do it. While we sing, if you need to do business with God, I encourage you to do that. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.